Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. The praise team is too young to know that song. I don't know what to say since I'm the one that suggested that we sing that song. So I don't know if that speaks for them or against me. I don't know. I'll let you decide. Do you have your Bible here this morning? Do you mind taking your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5? And I want to tell you while you're turning over there about something that I saw the other day. It's something that all of us have seen. But I saw something the other day and I really, when I saw it, I really couldn't take my eyes off of it because it was so breathtakingly gorgeous. And there is just something so majestically mysterious about a mammoth mountain of ice floating along through the sea. It's captivating. You see that image there before you, and it's truly hard to to take your eyes off of it and just to think about that icebergs that are, this is Greenland, a picture of Greenland, but some icebergs near Antarctica can be as big as Sicily. Now, Sicily is that island off the coast of Italy. It's the largest island in the Mediterranean, and some of these icebergs can be just as big as that island in Sicily. Did you know this, that we can only see, what we're looking at right there, we can only see about 12% of the iceberg. So 12% of that big iceberg the size of Sicily, we only see 12% of that. The rest of that iceberg is underneath the surface. And so that's where we get the phrase, the tip of the iceberg. That's where we come up with that and say that usually there's something else undergirding or something else behind. That's where we get the phrase, tip of the iceberg. Which brings us this morning to a very particular point, an important point for us to consider. uh, A point that through the Bible Jesus is bringing us this morning. And here's the point. Because Jesus has come, and that's what Matthew is all about. Matthew is telling us the time in the fullness of time, when the Son of God invaded our time, personally and purposefully, by taking on flesh. And so through Matthew, we can say in a definitive way, because Jesus has come, we can say something that we were not capable of saying before. And that is, we can say this, because Jesus has come, we can say without any equivocation that there is more to this world than meets the eye. There is a reality, because Jesus has come, we know that there is a reality that is beyond us. It is a reality that has come to us. So everything in this world is not merely what we can see. And Jesus tells us this. Now I know that our world likes to base its entire system on saying that seeing is believing, but that's counter what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't necessarily say seeing is believing, The Bible says hearing is believing. And sure enough, just as was prophesied, just as was the word that was received from God long ago, sure enough, this God who was promised, this message that came to the ears of the people, this promised one indeed did come. Let's get right to it and read the text together and see what our Lord is telling us from Matthew chapter 5. Now we're going to focus this morning on verse 8. But it's important that we see the whole of the Beatitudes, or at least up until this point, so that we can know where it is that our Lord is is taking us. We're entering His sermon. 
and dissecting his sermon, but we want to know what it is that he's saying in the whole sermon. So start in verse 1, and we'll read this morning all the way through verse 8. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we love you and we thank you so much for bringing us to this moment. Thank you for bringing us to this moment where you have marked out for us through the ministry of your Son, the way by which we can see God. Help us this morning, God, to understand your Word and to be transformed as we submit ourselves to know you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. See, here's the truth. Jesus has come, and we know this because of what we just read. Jesus has come to tell us the way in which we can see God. Now stop right there for just a minute. I just said that, and it sounds great, doesn't it? But stop just for a moment, lest it go over our cold hearts and not impact us. Jesus has come to tell us the way to see God. One day, we will see God. One day, this world that is right now filled with unbelief, that is right now filled with doubt, and even beyond that is filled with blasphemy, one day this world will be filled full of people who have seen God. You see, some of those people that see God will be in His presence forever. All will see God. Listen carefully. All will see God, but not all will be with Him for forever. Now let me just say this, it would be a disaster. It would be absolutely dreadful to just have a glimpse of God, to see His beauty, to feel the warmth of His holiness, and then to be removed from His presence in the cold, ugly of hell. It would be terrible to have a glimpse of God and then to be removed from His presence. But unfortunately, the Bible says that will be the experience of many. And I believe it was Billy Graham who said that one of the things that will make hell even more severe and more tormentful is the last image that some will see before they are cast forever in a place called the lake of fire. The last image they will see is an image of pure beauty, is an image of pure love, is an image of pure holiness, is an image of devotedness, of an image of God. The last thing that they see is God's face. They'll be close that far away knowing for all eternity that they will never be with God everyone will see God but only some will be in the presence of his glory forever Jesus tells us the way to be in his presence forever Jesus tells us blessed are the pure in heart they are the ones who will see God. 
Listen to Isaiah chapter 66. This is such a good passage. Thus saith the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So here we have this image of this God who is high and mighty, lifted up. And then listen to this next phrase that he says, but this is the one to whom I will look. Literally, this is the one who will capture my gaze. This is the one whom I will see. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and he who trembles at my word. Now we, this morning, if we're wise, if we're understanding, if we're honest, we want the look of God so that we can see Him. Understand this. We want God to look at us so that we can see Him. And so today, from our text, we learn the way to seeing God comes through a pure heart. Okay? Great. But what in the world did our Lord mean when He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this morning, together, we're going to learn two truths from this passage. Two truths this morning that prayerfully will leave us by the end of this message desiring with all of our heart literally, to see God. Number one this morning, I hope you're taking notes. Number one, only God can give sight to the blind. That's the number one point. That's important. Remember, Jesus has come to us. He has come to us, as uh, the passage already told us in Matthew chapter 4, He came as a light to people who are dwelling in darkness. Look at chapter 4 and verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness... They're the ones who have seen a great light. So what's the idea? People who are in darkness, well, you can't see without light. These people are blind. They're blinded by their own sins. And so then Jesus comes. And Jesus has come to show us that only God is the one capable of giving sight to the blind. Now, Miss Debbie Trailer just did an excellent job up here reading this passage in Genesis chapter 3. Thank you, Miss Debbie, for reading that. That passage in Genesis chapter 3, that scripture reading, tells the story of the day that humanity lost its vision. That story tells of the day that humanity lost our sight. Humanity went from walking with God in the cool of the day to listening to His voice, to obeying Him, to walking with Him, to enjoying His presence in one moment through the infiltration of a deceiver, through the infiltration of a serpent, in one moment disregarding His Word. And in that one moment, it's pretty important what happened. If you read the text closely in Genesis chapter 3, their eyes are open. Remember that the charge is that they'll have the knowledge of good and evil, and then Satan comes and says, well, you know, you really won't do that. God's holding something back from you. And so they, they have their eyes open, and suddenly their eyes are open, and this new vision that they have, it results in them seeing their own nakedness. Now think about this for just a moment. Their vision changed. Suddenly they see shame. Suddenly they see regret. Understand this. They didn't have clothes on before. All right? It's not as if they, uh, you know, they ate the fruit and then all of a sudden the clothes fell off. They, were, they were, didn't have clothes on before. But understand this. They were not naked. Now, I know that that's hard for us to even understand in the way that we speak. But that refers to an innocence that they had and then they lost because they disregarded and disobeyed the word of God. And so what do we have? We have this story of humanity choosing to reject the provision of the Lord. And then what do they do? Right after they found out they were naked, what do they do? They reach up for fig leaves and they try to cover what's on the inside by 
covering the outside. Do you see this? It's not like that they didn't have clothes on before. They, they didn't have clothes on, but all of a sudden their vision has changed. Now they see themselves naked. So it's not an outside problem that they have. It's an inside problem that they have. So what do they do? They try to take things from the outside and cover up what's on the inside. And so suddenly, the text changes. The, the story radically shows how far they fell. And so suddenly they saw their nakedness. They try to cover their nakedness. They, instead of desiring to be with God, they're terrified of God. And now every time we see anyone who sees God from the rest of the time, they're terrified. They run. They hide. Because He is so holy and we are not holy. Instead of walking with the God, they hide from God. And we know that this is the story of all of us. We were born into this world removed from the presence of God. We were born into this world without the ability to see. Now some of us are convinced of that. Most of us have, by faith, embraced what our Lord has said. We have embraced our need of the saving that He provides. But there's some of us, perhaps most in the world, who they think that they can see. But in reality, they're blind. Any sight that we think that we have is nothing more than blindness outside of God's provision. So what happens? We spend our life amassing for ourselves this own righteousness. We do little things to make us believe that we're all right, but in the end, it leaves us wanting more. In the end, it's just like taking what Adam and Eve did, trying to amass righteousness for ourselves, trying to fix what's on the inside by covering it up with stuff on the outside. In reality, all that we're doing is we're, we're doing nothing. We've done nothing but reveal how lost we really are. And I think that everyone, because they do this, because we see the world pursuing something good, we see the world pursuing something righteous, everyone in the world has a desire for righteousness. But the, the sadful truth is, is that we're desiring this righteousness as blind individuals. And so we're desiring to do good, but we don't really know what good is because we don't even know what bad is. So we can't even define what that is anymore. Then we're, we're trying to define what good is, and so we know that we should pursue something. Maybe it's what makes me feel good, or, or maybe it's what makes me doesn't feel good, and maybe if I have this, well, maybe it's just gas or whatever else. We can't even discern what is good and what is bad. And so what do we do? We spend our life trying to amass a righteousness for our own, but not only do we not know what we're after, but we never really get what it is that we're seeking. And this is what the Bible says when, when it says, in Ecclesiastes, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And then it says that He has put eternity into the hearts of every man. But yet so that they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning. So we see these individuals knowing that they should do something right. Knowing that they should father their children well. Knowing that they should mother their children well. We have this culture that says, you know, abandoning babies is not good. And all of this, we, we know we have this inkling of a desire for righteousness. But we really don't know what the end of it is. And so, as a result, the world is filled full of people who are created to live in community with God, but who are unable to have community with God. And so our world is filled with people who dream of more, but they have no idea how to achieve the more, or even what the more is that they seek. The Bible gives us the reason that there is so much strife and conflict in the world. Because here's the truth, the Bible says that we are like people fumbling around in the dark. Like people who are stumbling around to try to find something that's good. 
Solomon again in Ecclesiastes, the Bible tells us again, listen to what it says, this alone I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought after many schemes. So God created us to enjoy a relationship with Him. God created us to enjoy fellowship with Him, but we have disregarded that. And instead of having what He provides, we then reach our hands to provide for ourselves. So this world is filled with people who are seeking to achieve satisfaction outside of God, and, and many and, and most, I'm afraid, truly believe that they can achieve satisfaction outside of God. Our own hearts, if we're believers, we have to remind ourselves of this too. This is why we don't run after sin and sinfulness. This is why we have to have constant periods of confession and repentance because we understand the truth. We understand that our eyes have been opened, but they're not fully, they haven't regained their full sight yet. And so we have to constantly remind ourselves that there is nothing in this world that will bring satisfaction outside of Jesus. And trying to find satisfaction outside of Jesus is like trying to fill the hole in your heart with air and wind. It's not going to make a difference. Trying to pave a road with water, you, what good is that? It's not going to make any difference. You see, this is what Jesus says too. And don't take my word for it. Jesus, He says this later in Matthew. As He's describing the condition of the people, He spoke in parables. He speaks in a strange way, and we'll uncover what a parable is later in our study, but he speaks in parables. And so his disciples come up to him, and they say, Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? And listen to what Jesus said. Listen to this in Matthew 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Listen closely to this. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Did you hear that? Jesus said, the reason that I speak in parables is because they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. So it's not as if man doesn't have the capacity to hear. Understand this. This is important for us, and I hope you're listening this morning. This is important. It's not as if man doesn't have the capacity to hear, or he doesn't have the capacity for seeing. It's that man is blind and deaf. Man has these capacities. But these capacities have been interrupted by sinfulness. You see, sin has left mankind blind and deaf. And so it's important for us to understand that because we don't want to overreact against the world with some kind of pessimism against the deaf and the blind. You see, Jesus wants to make sure that we see that anything other than striving outside of Him, no matter how good it is, no matter how flashy it may be, no matter how noble it may be, anything outside of Him is worthless. And that's what He wants us to see. So Jesus comes and He directs our path to what it is that matter. And so then we believe in common grace. We believe that mankind was created in the image of God. And every man is capable of having a relationship with Him. We believe in common grace. We don't want to be pessimistic towards the world. We want to go out and speak the Gospel because it is the power of God under salvation for everyone who believes. And so we go to the world and we see them as Jesus does. Remember, we are those who are merciful. We want to have mercy on the world because God has had mercy on us. We believe in common grace, but listen carefully to me, very carefully to me. We also believe in something called total depravity. And that is that mankind can do nothing to save themselves. They need the radical intervention of God to come in and save them. 
So yeah, we believe. Well, we believe that mankind has been made in the image of God. That image has not been removed because every man has the capacity to relate with God, but that image has been defaced, not erased. So what does it require? It requires salvation to come to us. I don't have to convince you of this. You all read the newspapers. And even if you didn't read the newspapers, you know in your own hearts you have a desire for more. You have a desire to pursue good things. You have a desire to pursue righteous things, but oftentimes you fail to meet it. Man has been removed from the presence of God. Barred from access to Him. We have been blinded by our own desires so much that we no longer have communion with God. And here's the story of the Bible. And this is how ridiculous it is. And this is the reason that God tells us this story because He wants us to realize how ridiculous it is. We have chosen to have ourselves. We have chosen to look in the mirror and see ourselves. We have chosen to dine, to have a table of one and sit by our lonesome instead of keeping eternal festival with God. Every man has sinned, the Bible says. And then what? Fallen short of the glory of God. So here we are. We're left in this position. We are blinded by our own desire so much that we no longer have communion with God. And so we're left in this position. We're blind. And so what does it mean? It means that we are incapable of saving ourselves. It means that we need salvation to come to us. We're blind. We're not going to stumble upon salvation. Every time I would get a question right in my Greek class, I remember my professor who's retiring, he would look at me and he'd say, well, Andy, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Good job. That's not what's going to happen with us. We're just not going to stumble across this. We need salvation to come to us. We need divine intervention. And thankfully, Jesus has come to us. Thankfully, Jesus has come to be our salvation. Jesus has come. This is the Gospel. This is the story of God's rescue mission for us. We were in desperation fumbling around without any hope in the world until salvation came to us. Until He came to us. This is the story of God coming to rescue us, to bring us back to Him. The Father has sent the Son to save the world. You see, Jesus has come to be the light of the world. Jesus has come to shine His light, His own glorious light, into the darkness so that we could see. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in God the same way that I believe in the sun. Not because I see the sun, but because of the sun, I can see everything else. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has come to us to give us His glorious presence so that we could have eyes to see. Listen to what John says. This is the way John describes Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Look at this. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And listen to what he says later in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God, and this is, this is Trinitarian, listen closely. The only God who is also at the Father's side. The only God who is also at the side of God. See, it's so good. The only God who is at the Father's side. He, He has made Him known. No one else could make God known to us. And listen, 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 listen. This is what's so good. This is why it matters when we're talking about the shack tonight as we're, we're talking about biblical discernment. If you don't have this Jesus, this Jesus, okay, then you don't have salvation. If you don't have this Jesus, the one sent from the Father to do the Father's will, then we don't have salvation. It matters. It matters. Because no one has ever seen God. But the only God who is at the Father's side, He has come to us to make Him known. So this is exactly what we're seeing in the Sermon on the Mount. And I hope by the grace of God, I'm speaking clear enough and you're allowing the ministry of the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I hope that all this is clear. This is exactly what we're seeing in the Sermon on the Mount. We're just in the beginning and we're looking at these blessed statements. And so Jesus has come into our blindness as the light of the world. And it's, it's just like this. The image is true. Just as the brightness is too much for us to bear at first. We're in darkness. We've just received light. It's, it's too much for us to bear first. We're not even into the Sermon on the Mount yet. We haven't even gotten there. And so he, he says all these statements, these blessed statements, and what they are is there to, to let our eyes adjust so that He can show us the full intent of his glory and so he comes to us and he he levels us right in the in the beginning he comes to us in these blessed statements to level us so that we can see himself he is preparing our eyes so that we can see god that's why these blessed statements are here you know what it's like right to receive light maybe for the first time after your eyes have been in darkness you have that pain at first well, what would you rather do? Would you rather live in darkness or have a little light? That temporary discomfort, that temporary unpleasantness of having light hit your eyes for the first, that's okay. Just like the glaucoma test, right? No one likes to go. You can sit in that little thing and you can, they can prepare you all they want. They can tell you, we're going to puff a little air in your eyes. You're never ready for that, are you? But you'd much rather have the test than have glaucoma, right? I remember growing up, I would much rather have my mother wake me up than I would my daddy. My mother, she'd come to me, and uh, even though now looking back, I didn't like exactly what she sang to me, but anyway, she'd, she'd come to me, and I had these nice curtains, and the sunlight was just, you know, uh, coming into the room, and it was this orange glow, and I'd feel a hand on my back, and my mother would say, Andy, time to get up. And then she'd sing this song that I still can't stand, school day, school day. Dear old golden rule day, mom, stop, you know. I'd much rather be woken up by her than my dad. My dad's approach, as he was passing by my room or whatever direction he was going, he would open the door, cut on the light, and then he'd say, get up. Usually it was followed by a boy or a son. I would much rather be woken up by my mother than my daddy because mama didn't cut the light on, but daddy did. But you can guess whose way was a little more effective. Daddy's. I didn't like that feeling, and no one likes that feeling of having that light hit their eyes for the first time. But gosh, that's 
sure I'm glad that I can see. I sure I'm glad that I have eyes that I can see. And so the worst part, of course, is when he cut the light on. And the reason is, is because my eyes had been enjoying that darkness. And suddenly they received light. And it, it took a while for my eyes to adjust. And that was that pain. And so this is what Jesus is doing here. Before we even get into the Sermon on the Mount, before we even get into the meat of the sermon, he has these blessed statements that are short, that are succinct, and they're all meant to take our eyes and let them be caressed with light so that we can see what he has for us. Matter of fact, and I don't have time to do this, and I would love to do this one day, you can, you can trace every one of these blessed statements, every one of them, you can trace them through the whole Bible. This is what Jesus is doing. He is opening our eyes, preparing our eyes, so that He can adjust our eyes to His light. Now think about the Beatitudes so far. I want to spend a little time right here. Think about the Beatitudes so far. Here we have this Beatitude before us today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There is nothing greater than I can imagine than seeing God. Nothing greater. So that begs a question. Seeing God doesn't come until beatitude number six. If seeing God is so important, if seeing God is the greatest thing that we can imagine, why on earth does it come at number six? Why doesn't it come at the end? Why doesn't it come at the very beginning? Let me do my best to sketch out what the Lord is saying. And listen to your pastor. Hopefully you can learn how to read Scripture just from this. As we continue to try to sketch out what the Lord is saying, the best way that we can do this together is humbly. The worst thing that we can do is read our own message into what God is saying. The best thing we can do, and hopefully it's what we're doing now, is read the text as God intends us to be read. What I'm about to do here, I do so humbly. We go forward, we do humbly, because our desire is a true desire to hear God, not somebody's opinion about God. So look at this. The first three Beatitudes, listen carefully. The first three Beatitudes tell of God's work on us. The impoverished, the mournful, the meek. Now skip over the fourth one just for now. I'll come back to that one. Five through seven is God's work through us, the merciful, the pure, and the peaceful. So we have God's work on us, God's work through us, and then we have the last, which is the world's reaction to us. God's work on us, God's work through us, and then the world's reaction to us. Now, all in the middle of God's work on us and between God's work on us and God's work through us is this hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That is the centerpiece of the Beatitudes. And the reason it's the centerpiece of the Beatitudes is because that hungering and thirsting tells both of God's work on us and God's work through us. So if we're going to determine who are the pure in heart? Then we have to follow the context. 
we have to see the way that our Lord is linking this golden chain of blessedness together. Look at this. The poor in spirit, I believe, listen carefully, the poor in spirit are those who are merciful. The meek are the peacemakers. Those who mourn are the pure in heart. All of these are persecuted by the world. All of these are blessed by the Lord. To all of these belong the kingdom of heaven. And if I were to diagram it for you, it would look something like this. Poor in spirit yields to those who mourn, yields to those who are meek. God's work in us. Now God's work through us. Look, merciful, they're the poor in spirit. Those who are pure in heart, they're the ones who are mourning over their own sinfulness. And then lastly, we'll look at this next week, those who are the peacemakers, they're the ones who are meek. So God has this work where He is taking us and remaking us, refashioning us also that He can make all things new. And don't ever forget this. When we look and we hope for the day that God will make all things new, as we just looked at this wonderful video from the North American Mission Board, and we see uh, all of these images of, of herd and racism and, and people who are handicapped and lame and all the rest, we understand that God is making all things new. Understand that part of that newness that God is making is you. Part of that newness that God is making is me. We're going to be in His new heavens and new earth. We're going to be there. And we'll only get there by the newness that He has already accomplished in us. So who are the pure in heart? The pure in heart are those who realize that the only hope that they have comes from divine intervention. The pure in heart are those who are wholeheartedly trusting in the Lord. The pure in heart are those who realize that only God can give sight to the blind. Jesus has come to give sight to the blind. And understand this, our problem is not an environmental problem. There's no merit in saying, you know, if things were different at home or at my job, if maybe I hadn't lost this loved one, maybe things would be different. If, uh, if maybe I had a little more money, had a little more time, then maybe things would be different. Remember this, that Adam and Eve fell from the presence of God from a perfect environment known as the Garden of Eden. We call it paradise. So the problem is not something external. The problem is something internal. Our problem is that we need a new heart, and Jesus has come to give us a new heart. And listen to this, here's the good news. The way that He gives us a new heart is by giving us His own life so that we can have life. He gives His heart for us. He takes our sins and our sorrows and He makes them His very own. And then what does He do? He takes all of our burdens to Calvary and He suffers and He dies alone. And then when we realize that, when we come to that realization, then our eyes are open and then we have no choice but to say, how marvelous. How wonderful. And the reason we say that is because we can see. We now see, because He's given us eyes to see, we now see the depths of His love for us. Number two this morning, and this is good, when God opens our eyes, we see Him. Not anything else, not someone else, 
when God opens our eyes, we see Him. And there is nothing greater than seeing God. There is nothing greater than knowing that we have this hope awaiting us that one day we will see God. I wonder what it will be like. Don't you? You ever just get lost in wonder and anticipation and wonder what on earth it will be like? You see, my life is filled with this anticipation and longing of seeing the Savior face to face in all of His glory. And so many people think that one day when they see God, they're going to want to have all these questions answered. And they're going to say, what about this? What about that? But I think that when we see God, we're going to react like John did after he describes Jesus in Revelation 1. He says, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. That's what it's going to be. And so just imagine eternity. I don't want you to have this image. It's not going to be like this. Eternity, we... We see Jesus, we, we fall limp. Then we see Him and fall limp. Then we say, you know, we're not going to do that. That's not what it's going to be. We're going to have this awe-inspiring vision of who God is. You say, well, describe Him to me, preacher. No. No way. I'm afraid. Whenever we do theology, whenever we talk about God, we do so humbly. The best we can do is have our minds influenced by the text so that we can long to see what love is. I don't know. Long to see what hope is. Long to see what Jesus looks like knowing that hope and love have a face in our one Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has marked us. The way to see God is clear. We first must have to have a pure heart. Very carefully listen. The heart is so important. Don't think about when you hear Jesus say in a new heart, He's not talking about a, an organ. He's not talking about that, the thing that pumps blood. He's referring to the center of all that you are. He's saying you have to have a new heart. You have to have a, the very center of your being changed. What it is that makes you who you are has to be changed. You see, the heart refers to what it is that guides and directs our life. And so what has Christ done? He has come to make what was impure pure and he does it three ways he does it judicially at the moment of salvation he declares us righteous then he does so progressively which is where we all are in right now if we know jesus he does so progressively so that as we walk with the holy spirit and then finally and this is the hope that we have finally he does it finally in the end when we experience resurrection when he takes our bodies and raises us again and listen this is so good when he literally gives us a new heart and when that heart starts to beat, after this old heart has ceased to beat, He will give us a new heart that when it beats, it will never beat out of the rhythm of God's presence. Ever again. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're the ones who will see God. You see, Christianity is not just some intellectual ascent. You can't just think that you know enough about God to be saved. Christianity is about God making all things new Christianity is about God taking a heart that was beating to the rhythm of ungodliness and then shocking it back to beat the rhythm that it was created for to always do what is pleasing to the Father. And that's what purity of heart means. Purity of heart means that we have an undistracted devotion to God. Purity of heart means that we are so overwhelmed by seeing God that nothing in this life no matter how shiny it may appear, is even worth comparing to all that He has for us. Jesus has promised that 
Those who see God are those who will be the pure in heart. And we believe Him. We may not fully understand it. We don't have to. We take Him at His word. And we believe in what He says. And we prove that we believe in what He says by desiring to walk with Him. We realize that, hey, even now, all we see through is through a glass dimly. But one day, we're going to see Him face to face. And listen carefully to me. Right now, right now, this limited sight that we have is better than having no sight at all. Because we are like Moses. We are faithfully enduring as seeing Him who is invisible. We are going through this life believing what Jesus said, trusting in Him providing what He said, and praying what Jonathan Edwards prayed. When Jonathan Edwards, a Puritan preacher, he would preach and he would pray a prayer that he prayed often for himself, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeball. In other words, Lord, let there be nothing else in this world that captures my attention quite like you who is uncomparable with anyone else. In other words, we're praying with the old Irish hymn, Be Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. The best way to say what we're doing when we who have received sight is in John 1, 2, 28 through 3, 3. Listen to what it says. Listen to the way John described this. Remember who John was. He says that we have seen his glory. Then listen to what he writes to a church later. He says this. Little children, abide in him. So that when He appears, and there's no question about His appearance, when He appears, we may have confidence in Him and not shrink in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Listen to this. Are you listening? Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him just as He is. Let me stop there for just a minute. John's trying to answer questions about the resurrection. People were wondering, what's it going to be like when the dead are raised? And John says, I don't know. But this is what I do know. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. And being like Him, seeing Him, that's enough. That's enough. Then listen to the next phrase. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. So this morning, the question that you have to ask yourself, the question that Jesus is bringing to you this morning, how about you? Have you seen the light? Lay yourself bare before the Lord and humbly ask Him to show you. 
here's the truth. The Bible's clear. He knows more about your heart than even you do. So just be honest with Him. Don't reach out to God in trying to amass your own righteousness. Come before Him just as you are. Don't dwell in darkness. Come to the light. Feel the warmth of the sun for the first time. We know because Jesus has told us who it is that will see God. As Scripture says, who is it that will ascend the hill of the Lord? And who will stand in His holy place? Listen to this. He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. I'm ready. Are you? The reason that I'm ready is He has given me a pure heart. I have received His salvation by faith. He has been gracious to me to give me Himself. How about you? Are you ready? Search your heart. Ask God to show you if you're ready. And if He shows you that you're not, then believe that He is ready to give you a pure heart if you come to Him in faith. Would you pray this morning? Father, we love You. We thank You for giving us the way to see God. Thank You for setting before us eternity. And thank You, Lord, for not making eternity something that's way out yonder and unapproachable for us. But thank You for giving us eternity and bringing it near to us, knowing that through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, You have brought salvation to us. I pray for every heart here. I pray that, Lord God, those whom You have pricked today those hearts that You have touched, they that know that they are not pure in heart, that they would turn to the only God that saves, that they would quit amassing for themselves righteousness and give themselves to Jesus. Father, for those who are believers who have dabbled in sin, may they, Lord God, purify themselves just as they are pure and live out their salvation. This is a pivotal moment in the time of our service, our God. We then, Lord God, come to the end and reflect and desire for Your Word at this moment to sink into our hearts and change us. We're not asking for something we can do. We're trusting wholeheartedly in what You can do. And we ask You to do it. Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info 
at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.